in front of you, that passage we had read, the first passage, Matthew chapter 18 and verses 21 and following, that's where we're going to kind of hang for most of this morning. It's good to be back, uh, a lot coming out to this part of the world, um, and it's nice to see your faces, and, uh, but above all, it's great that we can tuck into the Word of God today, and, um, and hopefully, as we just prayed, learn more of who Christ is and what it means to follow Him. Um, today, we're going to be thinking about uh, forgiveness, forgiveness, that's the, the subject, and I, I really appreciated, Bronwyn, your prayer, actually, just before, as we come to, come to the Lord, forgiving, uh, confessing our sins in the assurance of his forgiveness that we would then pass it on to others as well. It's a helpful prayer. Um, C.S. Lewis said this, it's going to come up on the screen, I hope, there we go. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I love that comment. Um, Lewis um, is saying, oh, go back, go back, go back, go back. I'm giving away the second bit. Go back. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I love that comment. Um, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. He's saying, um, if you're a Christian, when you, when you know the extravagant, undeserved, lavish forgiveness of God, it equips us, it enables us to learn to forgive other people, our brothers and sisters, namely in Christ. It's what Ephesians 4 said as we had that read out as well. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted or compassionate, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You've been forgiven by Jesus, so forgive each other. But the challenge there is to, you know, to kind of lay aside our grudges and to, to deal with our hurts. And it sounds easy, right, doesn't it? But let's be honest, it's really, it's really hard. It's really hard. That's why C.S. Lewis goes on to say, the second half of that quote, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea, until they have something or someone to forgive. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? It's hard. Um, that's the tension, right? We, we know we should forgive because God has forgiven us, but we find it hard to forgive. At least I find it hard to forgive. The Scriptures say, though, you know, if you're a Christian, forgiveness should kind of flow out of us. But doing that requires a really significant work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we've prayed already. I want to pray again and ask the Lord to, by His Spirit, challenge us this morning, shape us to be more like Jesus this morning. So let's pray quickly. Father, we pray with thanks for your great love for us, that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. Father, we praise you for the Spirit that has changed our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, hearts that now love you. We thank you for your forgiveness of us. Father, please transform us this morning by your Spirit. We realize that forgiveness is beautiful, but it's hard, it's costly. But Father, we pray that you'd again make us more like your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I just want to dive straight into Matthew chapter 18, and in particular verse 21. Um, you'll see it probably hopefully come up on the screen. Hopefully you've got it in front of you somehow. Um, so Matthew 18 verse 21. Jesus, uh, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, says Peter. Now, just before this moment, in the flow of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been teaching his disciples, and by extension you and me, what to do when someone sins against you but refuses to repent, and he provides a sort of a pathway for that. Here, though, it's someone has sinned, 
I have forgiven them, how long do I have to keep on forgiving them if they keep doing the same thing again? That's how Luke records the parallel sort of in Luke chapter 17. Uh, Luke there, similar scenario, records this. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins seven times in a day and he repents each time, forgive him. So you see there, if he repents, we're called to go on forgiving, right? Here in Matthew 18, Peter says, how many times should I do that, Jesus? Like seven times? Is that right? Um, It was really interesting, right, that the Jewish rabbis of the day who were teaching God's people at that time said that the right thing to do when someone sins against you is to forgive them three times. That was the the current kind of teaching of the day in the culture. It was based on a really interesting reading of Amos, the book of Amos in the Old Testament. Uh, But the Jewish rabbis taught three times. That's how many times you need to forgive. So Peter comes up to Jesus, right? Adds a bit of context. So we're talking about forgiveness, Jesus, right? How many times do you say I should have to forgive? Seven times? You know, Peter sort of goes, you know, I get forgiveness, Jesus. I kind of get grace. The rabbis say three. What about seven? Probably was a bit like that, I reckon, back when it was recorded. Um, Seven times. I mean, that's generous, isn't it? Based on the standards of the day, the rabbis say three. I'm going to go for seven. I kind of get grace. It's like double plus one. Isn't that cool, you know? Such grace. I'm sure Peter, though, was a little disappointed when Jesus responded in verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Hmm. It's not just a random number, right, that Jesus kind of plucks out of the air, Um, nor is it that Jesus just liked his 11 times tables, right? Um, And he goes to that. I mean, who who doesn't love the 11 times table, right? When I was growing up, Nailed it. So easy. So good. Um, no, no. 77, he says. He says it for a reason, actually. So um, it's only one other time in all of the scriptures, in all of the Bible, does the number 77 come up. Anyone know where? Anyone? Genesis chapter 4 is where it comes up. Um, you know, Genesis 4, nasty Lamech makes this great boast to his wives. Genesis 4. Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. There you go. What is he talking about? Well, earlier in Genesis chapter 4, Cain feared for his life. He kind of cries out to God, Lord, I'm going to get killed. And the Lord gives Cain a word of assurance. No, no, you're not going to get killed, Cain. If someone hurts you, I'll repay them sevenfold, okay? That's what he's giving him, an assurance. I'll, I'll, I'll repay anyone who hurts you sevenfold. In the context then, right, it's a word of assurance for Cain. You're fine. Here, Lamech takes that and he perverts it. He distorts it. As you can see, his logic, right? A young man struck me, I killed him. It's like mafia logic, right? You know, you hurt me, I kill you. I kill your mother, I kill your mother's mother. Like, you know, like that sort of mafia kind of, you know, no one hurts me. Anyone touches Lamech, everyone pays. Like, that's the language. So what Lamech is boasting about here is an escalation of cruelty, right? And it's, it's very easy to make fun of him, right? Um, but in one sense, it's very human. That's our culture, isn't it? Someone hurts me, I'm going to lash out harder. They're going to pay. That's our culture. Um, 
a few weeks ago at our church at City Light, I was talking about this idea of outrage culture. Outrage culture is where someone has maybe hurt you in some particular way historically and you are feeling the impact of that and the way to kind of process that, think that through, recover from it, is to make that person kind of pay, take them down. That's happening in our culture, right? And that's the nature of our world, you know. You hurt me, I hurt your family, you know, I'll kill you. You know, that's, that's, that's where it is. But it's, it's a perversion, isn't it, for Lamech? Someone wounds me, I kill them. God says he will pay sevenfold to, to, to Cain. That's a word of assurance. Lamech, I'm going to pay back 77-fold. That's vengeance. And Jesus picks that up in Matthew chapter 18. Peter says, how many times do I need to forgive? Seven times. Jesus says, how many? 77 times. You've got the the very human way of thinking of Lamech. Self-protection, vengeance, retribution, you know, retaliation. Jesus says, I'm going to turn that completely on its head. Lamech's revenge, right, was disproportionate. And Peter, Jesus says, I want you to respond to people who sin against you, who injure you physically, emotionally, those who wound you. I want you to respond to them with disproportionate mercy, outrageous kindness. Not self-protection, not vengeance, not revenge. That's what unforgiveness is, you know, retaliation. Telling everyone else, you know, look what this person has done and, and taking them down. Jesus says, forgive in the way that is kind of ridiculous, out of proportion, radical forgiveness, outrageous mercy. That's what my people will be like. That's what my people will look like and sound like. And Peter hears that, right? And, he, and I'm sure he goes, whoa, that's hard. How come I'm going to do that? To forgive someone 77 times when they hurt or offend you, that's, that's hard. And, you know, and I'm, I'm aware, right, as, I, as we think about this, as I say that, there are people in this room, no doubt, who things are coming back to your mind and heart, things you're dealing with right now, and you go, that's, I find that really hard. It's a reality. And I'm not discounting that. And when Jesus says 77 times, I mean... Jesus really isn't just saying, you know, like, just 77 times and keep a tab. Like, he's, he sort of basically says, ignore the quantity, just keep forgiving. Forgive beyond anything they deserve. That's really hard. How do we do that? So that's when Jesus tells them this parable, this story. And basically, if you understand the parable, says Jesus, you'll find in the parable the power, no matter what someone has done against you, it's, it, to, to know how to forgive them because you know that you've been forgiven. It's, it's, a, it's a great parable, three scenes. Um, first scene, outrageous, um, outrageous forgiveness, sorry, covers a big debt. Um, number two, lack of forgiveness demands payment from others. Three, a lack of forgiveness brings terrible fate. We'll work through those. It kind of starts well and then ends miserably, basically. But that's, whoo, here we go. Um, firstly, outrageous forgiveness covers a big debt. Okay, then. how is it that you can forget? Verse tw- forgive. Verse 23. Therefore, says Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. If we sort of press the pause button there, 10,000 talents. How much is that? How much is that? 
a lot, but let's, let's do some maths, right? Here we go. Um, I like business maths, you know, it's a bit of fun. You know, you might think, I hate business maths. But anyway, one talent, right, we know, is equal to 6,000 denarii in the day. Matthew 20, a couple of chapters on, tells us that a denarii is equivalent to one day's wages, right? Um, one day's wage, so then 6,000 denarii, you know, is like 20 years worth of your wages. Imagine that. 20 years worth of wages. Um, I, pu- I plugged in, right, a labourer's wage, right? Let's say it's $50,000 per annum. Um, one talent would be the equivalent to $1 million. The debt is 10,000 talents, which equals in Australian kind of currency today, $10 billion. Does that make sense? I'm not really good at maths. I never was good at maths, but I think that's right. $10 billion is the equivalent debt. It's huge. It's a big amount of money, says Jesus, $10 billion. I worked out, I looked it up. It's the equivalent to the GDP of Madagascar. That's the debt. That's a lot of money, $10 billion. There you go, Madagascar. Because that's exactly what people from Madagascar look like. But I don't think that's even Jesus' point. It, that's certainly not Jesus' point, you know, the film Madagascar. But $10 billion, that's not even Jesus' point. The figure, actually 10,000 in Greek, in the original language, is actually the largest number you could write kind of grammatically. I mean, you could say, you know, two ten thousand, three ten thousand, but 10,000 was the biggest number you could kind of come up with. It's like, you know, we might say a zillion, right? That's the biggest number. He owed his master a zillion dollars. A ridiculous amount of money. Technically, I think the largest number we have in our world is like a, is cent, a centillion. I don't even know what that looks like. It's just a number with a lot of zeros after it. Um, but let's run with 10 billion. So somehow, a servant owes his master $10 billion. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, I mean, you reckon? He's a, he's a labourer. I don't know. He's a Domino's pizza driver. I don't know. Um, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, not literally, right? You sell all those things, they won't add up to $10 billion, especially in first century culture. A really, 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 really good servant might fetch a a talent, but nowhere near 10,000 talents. I mean, you might have an exception. You might have, you know, like a particularly strong, muscular, Adonis-like, you know, servant. I don't know, like Montaz, right? You know, like very impressive, physically imposing people who might, you know, kind of get a greater figure. It's not going to pay off the debt. The master is simply showing the severity of the problem. Verse 25, the master's not angry, he's just highlighting the the significant predicament that the servant is in. He has a debt he cannot pay. The servant, though, doesn't seem to get it, right? Verse 26, he wants to establish like a payment plan. I don't know, like afterpay or something like, you know. Um, At this, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. No. You're on 50K per year. You'll have to work a pretty long time, right, to pay off your $10 billion debt. What are you talking about? You can't go into a payment plan. You haven't got it, have you? That's what he's saying. Just how big your debt is against me, says the master. But verse 27, look at this. The master is kind. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. Again, that is outrageous mercy. 
Extraordinary generosity. That's radical kindness. $10 billion just written off. Now, I don't care who you are, right? That is a lot of money. You could be Gina Reinhart, right? I'm told Gina Reinhart, her personal worth is about $15 billion. Let's say it comes to light that one of her employees embezzles $10 billion of her wealth, but she just sort of lets it go. That would make the papers, right? That would make social media and might change the public perception of the Reinhardts. I don't know. But no one writes off $10 billion and says, doesn't matter. That is a ridiculous act of generosity. Amazing mercy, kindness and compassion. And here's the point. Peter, says Jesus, if you're going to forgive other people repeatedly, you need to know two things. One, you owe a debt that you can never pay. And two, outrageous mercy and grace has paid your debt. You've got to get those two things clear if you're going to forgive other people. And this is, of course, the gospel, isn't it? God has lavished upon all of us in this room, all of us, he's lavished upon us wonderful blessings. He's given us everything with God, the the breath in our lungs, the blood that runs through our veins, the families we're part of, the opportunities we've had, the education we've received, the intelligence we possess, the possessions we have, the money we have, everything we have is a blessing and a gift from God to us. And yet we, we we see in the word, we abuse it. We want all his stuff, we just don't want him. We take, we take, we take, we take from him. We do stuff that we shouldn't do, we we say things we shouldn't say. So morally, says the scriptures, says the, the, the span of the scriptures, there is a debt we cannot pay. You know, we can try, right, from today to be, to be good and, and be good and seek to pay something off until the day we die. Or we can try, we can real really good lives, but there is no chance of paying off the debt. All of us stand before our maker bankrupt. But God is a God who is good and is willing to wipe it away. And he says, I will pay for you. I will absorb the debt. I'll take it in my son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. It's costly. It's very costly. But I will die in that man, Jesus Christ. Why? So that you might live. He pays our debt. He came to pay a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. You know, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 Christ came into the world, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He came into the world. He left glory. He left the treasures of heaven to come into our broken, bankrupt world in order to become poor. So what? That we might become rich, be right with God again. It's outrageous forgiveness. Right here, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet. And we see the gospel. It's outrageous forgiveness. Radical love. He pays a massive debt. That's scene one. Um, The next two scenes are a little bit briefer. Um, Scene two, lack of forgiveness demands payment from others. So verse 28 through 30. Verse 28, so he's been, this debt's been written off. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 
grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused and said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt back. This is very striking. A lack of of forgiveness demands payment from others. Firstly, do you see the language of this man that the, the debtor uses? It's the same language that the servant used in scene one. So verse 26, the servant who owes $10 billion says, he fell on his knees, be patient with me, he begged, I'll pay you back. Verse 29, the debtor, he fell on his knees, be patient with me, he begged, I'll pay it all back. It's exactly the same language. And yet the man listens but doesn't hear. He fails to make the connection that this guy is in exactly the same situation that he was with his master. Let's unpack this a little bit. What's the sum of money here? Um, we're told it's 100 denarii. Um, if you recall, right, one denarii equals a day's wage. This is therefore equivalent to a third of a year's salary that we're talking about. I'm thinking 17,000K, roughly, if we base it on the former one. Now, I don't know about you, right? I'm grateful that Jesus went with a decent sum of money here that is owed. You know, it's not that the servant owed, the, you know, that the servant, you know, he owed his master $10 billion and this guy just owes him like 10 bucks, you know? Like, that's nothing, whatever. $17,000 is a decent amount of money. That's, I don't know, it's a good overseas holiday, maybe two overseas holidays. You could buy a new car with that, you know, maybe. If someone takes that kind of money from you, um, refuses to give it back, I'm thinking that's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah? You know, agree with that? You know, like, I, I would feel that. I would notice that, you know. The point here is, right, forgiveness is not easy. It's not easy. You know, Jesus is not saying someone sins against you, they wound you, they, they hurt you, they take something from you, and therefore you can just brush it off. doesn't matter. He's not saying that. Unless you're a millionaire, right? For most of us, $17,000 is going to hurt. It's going to cost. But here's the question posed to us by the story. How can the man who's been kind of set free, freed from his debt of $10 billion, choke the man for $17,000? There's a massive disconnect. And Jesus' diagnosis is that well, he was probably never really forgiven. He never got forgiveness. He never really knew what it was to be forgiven. He didn't get the gospel. So that's scene two. Scene three, a lack of forgiveness brings a terrible fate. Verses 31 through 35. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's the key diagnosis, isn't it? Verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Jesus basically says, you know, you've behaved in a way as if you have no idea of what grace, kindness and mercy are. You don't seem to understand forgiveness at all. And he makes a number of mistakes, I reckon. Three key mistakes here. First, 
First mistake, I think he's forgotten who is king. It's easy, right? If, if you forget that God is king and you make yourself king, which is pretty much what we all do, you know, if you, you forget that God is king, you make yourself king and the king of your own story and someone comes to owe you $17,000, that's going to really irritate you, isn't it? Because it, it's your story. They've annoyed me. They've got in my way. But if you remember that, you know, ultimately you and I, we're just players. We're just people in God's big story. And God is king. That kind of humbles us a bit, humbles me. He's the king. We play by his rules. And I think the man had forgotten who's king. Second, and I think the most significant mistake he makes, he's focused on the wrong debt. That's what the guy does wrong here. He's focused on the wrong debt. And for you and me, if someone offends us and perhaps we're struggling to forgive, which debt are you focusing on? The massive one that we owe God, but that he's written off in the person and work of his son Jesus at the cross? Or the relatively small one that, well, someone else might owe us? And the instinctive one, I think, is that it's easy to focus on the latter, isn't it? The one that I'm owed. So we, I don't know, if you're anything like me, we perseverate, we dwell on, we fume about the small one and fail to really think about the reality of the big one that's been written off by grace and mercy. So if you focus on the big one, I don't know, I feel like you're humbled, you're grateful, you're thankful, you're, it's, it's great. But if you focus on the smaller ones, I think you can end up becoming kind of resentful and bitter, prideful, self-righteous. And the third mistake that I think he makes, and I want to suggest this is the point of the parable, you've never really understood the size of your debt and the extravagance of God's mercy if you can't forgive other people. You know, you and I, we owe trillions and trillions, centillions, morally to God. Occasionally someone will owe us a few thousand dollars. When you know the extent to which you've been forgiven, it does change you. It does change me. It changes your attitude towards the debts of others. The last two verses of this story, the conclusion, verse 34. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Verse 34, right? It's a, it's a picture of eternity. It's kind of an ultimate picture, right? If you cannot forgive other people, it's a sign that you've never understood the forgiveness that came by faith alone through Jesus Christ. You know, earlier in Matthew, right? Back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches this sermon where he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And here it seems like he says, unblessed will be the ones who are unmerciful and they will be shown anger and wrath. Yeah, just to be really clear though, um, forgiveness of others is not a precondition of salvation and being forgiven by God. It's a post-condition of being saved and rescued by the grace and mercy of God. I'm not saying this morning that, you know, if you're here today and you think, well, if only I just kind of become a really forgiving person, then God will save me. That's not how it works. Our debt is too great. We can't pay off the debt. 
But, but if you have come to experience the grace, mercy and forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus, then the post-condition is that you'll kind of imitate him. Just as Christ has forgiven you, so you will forgive others as much as we can. If you genuinely have come to taste the goodness of God, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his debt smashing and his sin crushing mercy, then you'll forgive others. That'll be a unique aspect of your life and the life of God's people here at Living Word Church. If you don't, Jesus is kind of pretty clear. You've perhaps never understood God's forgiveness, the cross, the gospel. So there's an ultimate sense here, right? You know, an eternal sense. You'll be shut off from him forever. But there's also a milder sense in this kind of text that's true, I think, of many of us. You know, people who claim to know Jesus but who struggle to forgive. And there's many reasons that we struggle to forgive. But again, the issue, I think, is we might have just kind of got the debts wrong. Focusing on the smaller debt that someone owes us rather than taking off our eyes, putting our eyes back on the huge debt that we've been forgiven of. When you dwell upon the huge debt that we've been forgiven, I think it does empower us, enable us, transform us to be able to absorb and even indulge the sins of others. About 18 months ago, um, someone came up to me in church and said, Simon, I want to let you know something. I'm like, okay, that's great. I've finally forgiven you, Simon, for something you said back in March 2017. Yay. I was like, wow. You know, and you go, what? And so, things start running through my head, right? Gosh, what did I say? You know, March 2017, that's a long time ago. But what an extraordinary thing to say. He was a bloke, he'd been in church for years. I've forgiven you for what you said March 2017. Now, I don't doubt this guy was a follower of Jesus. There's great evidence and fruit in his life that he did trust Jesus and believe in the gospel for his salvation. But man, did he have some things out of whack. I don't, I don't, I don't doubt, actually, that I said something that annoyed him, right? Um, I don't doubt that. I probably overstepped. I probably overstated. I don't know. I can do that. Um, I might have been a bit harsh. I might have been ungodly. I'm, I, you are looking at a very imperfect preacher, by the way. Like, I am fallible, I am weak, I am sinful, I make mistakes. But I've only just forgiven you, Simon, for something you did months ago. I assume he's just been obsessing for months and months about my crime against him. And it was interesting, actually, upon reflection, like the distance between us had grown. And I don't think it was me. He wasn't really dwelling, I think, ultimately on the, the debt that he'd been freed from by God, his zillions that he owed. You know, I might owe you 17K, but you owe billions and you've been focusing on the wrong debt. It's possible to do that. The key to this, says Jesus, if you're going to forgive, how can you forgive 77 times how? The answer is pretty simple, says Jesus. You need to know that there is a debt you cannot pay but it's been paid by the outrageous mercy, the ineffable love of God through Christ Jesus. You know, he absorbed in himself a debt that we could not owe so that we could go free eternally. Let me finish. That's the parable. Let me finish with the story and then I'll pray and then we'll carry on. Um, back in 1994, 
Um, that was when the, the massive Rwandan genocide took place. Um, the, the horrible conflict between the, Hutu, uh, the Hutus and the, and the Tutsi tribes in Rwanda. Um, the Hutus trying to wipe out the Tutsis. 800,000 Tutsis were killed um, in that. Basically, the world did nothing while that massacre took place. Um, there's a wonderful story in it, many wonderful stories, but one that stood out to me um, was a woman, her name was Adele. I happen to be married to an Adele. It wasn't that Adele, but um, a woman named Adele. She was married to a pastor um, in Rwanda. They were in church one day, a little bit like us here. Um, the, the Hutu um, people, uh, tribe sort of burst through the doors um, with machetes in their hands. They went into the church. They called out, where is the pastor? And Adele's husband put his hand up. They put him at the front and they flayed him alive. They skinned him in front of everyone and they slit his throat. After that happened, there was obviously lots of things going on in the church, like violence and clashes in the church. 45 members of that church were killed on that particular day. Um, Adele, um, in the melee, had her face slashed open um, by a machete. Um, she was left for dead, actually, among the others. Three days later, the church was able to come back and to kind of um, recover the bodies of those, and they found Adele alive amidst the 45 people who had been killed. Um, she decided to forgive. Um, it was really hard, but as she dwelt on that, um, she decided that she could either become an extremely bitter person or she could trust the Lord in light of his forgiveness of her, she could forgive those who'd perpetrated this terrible crime and violence. Can I say, though, like in her story, it didn't just like happen like that. Like she didn't just go, oh, of course, you know, like I know Jesus, I'm going to forgive. It took years for her to kind of come to that place. Um, she, after a time, Adele started working in the prison where many of the Hutu um, tribe members who'd committed many atrocities were in prison. She, she went into that prison to serve the prison, to care for the prisoners, the Hutu like members. Um, she would care for them so deeply that she became known as the mother of the prison. So deeply did she care for the men, the inmates. Um, but these are her words, right? Listen to this. One day, a young man named Lewis fell at my feet and he was weeping and kissing my feet. As I looked down at his face, I saw that he was the young man who rushed in with the machete and killed my husband. He was the young man who put this scar on my head. And he looked up at me and said, Adele, would you forgive me? I pulled him up and I embraced him and said, in the name of Jesus, I will forgive you. Wow. It's extraordinary forgiveness. husband killed by this man, her face disfigured by this man, and yet she was able to say, I forgive you. I don't know all the details, but I, and I, I suspect for Adele, this woman, that forgiving this guy Lewis of what he had done to her and her husband and the community wasn't just again a matter of going, I forgive you, let's move on. I imagine for her it was a daily thing of having to kind of draw on the resources of Jesus, draw on the resources of the gospel in order to forgive again and again 
And again, and that is, that's the reality of many of the hurts that you and I will experience. It's a woman impacted by domestic violence at the hand of the man who's supposed to love her. I would never expect her simply to just go, you're forgiven, everything's fine and forget. You know, there's consequences. <coughs> but there is power in that to draw upon in order to forgive on a daily basis to, to love. But Adele went on. This is amazing. She went on. My heart was racing, she says, but I knew that Christ had forgiven me and that I could forgive this murderer. I began studying the Bible with prisoners and Lewis came to the Bible studies. He made a decision that he would follow Jesus and be baptised. In about the year 2000, Lewis was released from prison uh, and upon release, he was largely homeless. He had very little purpose. He didn't really know what he was going to do. And guess what happened? Adele adopted him as her son and welcomed him into her home. He moved into a house. That's outrageous forgiveness, yeah? In the name of Jesus, I will forgive you. It's the only way you can forgive 77 times. Drawing on the resource of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, I will forgive you. C.S. Lewis, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. It's a hard topic. And I want to say today, if you're here today and, and you want to talk with me, if you want to pray with me, um, I'll be not too far away. I'll be here, up the back maybe. You're very welcome to come and pray with me. I'd love to meet with you. I'm sure Naomi would love to talk to you or Bronwyn uh, if you would like to talk through stuff today. Um, but let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the wonder of the good news of Jesus. Father, we realise it's really impossible for us to plumb the depths of your love, to plumb the depths of what you have done for us on the cross and what that means for how we are to live in this world, certain of the next. Father, we recognise that we live in a, in a really broken world, in a world, in a culture that is kind of anti-forgiveness, is in many ways about sort of vengeance and retribution and retaliation. We also recognise, Father, that forgiveness is really hard. And so we thank you, Father, that you've placed in us your spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We recognise as well, as we've learnt today from the lips of our Saviour, the one who died for us to pay our debt, we realise that uh, Father, in him are the resources we need to be the people you've saved us to be. We realise, Father, that we can't do this forgiveness thing alone. And we recognise as well that for many of us in the room, maybe there are hurts that we've experienced that, Father, we really don't know how to overcome. But, Father, we pray that in Jesus' name we can. And, Father, we also recognise upon hearing this word this morning, there may be people we need to meet with to ask for their forgiveness for things we've done, hurts we've done against them, words we've said to them which have not been helpful. Yeah, so Father, we pray that the words we've heard today wouldn't just be words that are snatched away, but they'll be words that are driven deep into our hearts, 
that we would look more like Jesus, that we would sound more like Jesus, that we would be the community of Christ that you've saved us to be. So, Father, be at work in us, comforting us, strengthening us, emboldening us, helping us to be men and women marked by forgiveness, not vengeance, so that we will be people who look like Jesus. And, Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen.